Bars. Hi, this is Julie. This is Liz. This is Sheila. This is Monica. This is Leanne. We are the Satellite Sisters. You are listening to Satellite Sisters To Go. You are listening to Satellite Sisters. Welcome to our Satellite Sisters Word Write Festival 2015. It's our continuing series of author interviews with some of the best books coming out this summer. I'm Leanne Dolan in Pasadena, California, and I am so excited to talk to our guest, Eleni Gage. She is an author, but you've seen her byline all over the place. She's written for a long time for Travel and Leisure and the New York Times. She was the beauty editor at People Magazine, and now she's the editor of Martha Stewart Weddings. But just put Put that all aside because her new novel is so fantastic, Satellite Sisterhood. I absolutely loved it. It's evocative. It's rich. It's detailed. It's called The Ladies of Managua. And it's a story you have not read before, I promise you. It follows the story of three generations of Nicaraguan women, each with a secret to conceal. And uh, they're brought together at a funeral of the grandfather. And we get a lot of information about women and motherhood and relationships, uh, all sort of wrapped in these lush, rich uh, travel writing details. I absolutely loved it. So it's an absolute pleasure to welcome Eleni Gage to Satellite Sisters. Hi, Eleni. Hi. Thanks for that introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Have other people been as enthusiastic? Because the book just absolutely transports you to a different time and place. Was that um, your goal when you were writing it? Or how did you even come up with this story? I don't usually ask that question right off the bat, but I just think it's such a fascinating story about three generations of women from Nicaragua. What were the origins of this book? Well, I'm not Nicaraguan, actually, um, but uh, but my husband is. So basically, I married the first Nicaraguan I ever met. And, and- can I just say he's adorable? Because I saw a picture of him <laughs> on your website. I was like, well, cute. you're very cute. <laughs> no, I recommend marrying the first Nicaraguan you meet. Um, <laughs> but uh, when we first started dating um, about a month in, I mean, when we first started dating, I knew nothing about Nicaragua. Um he mentioned to me that he grew up partly in Miami because his uh, grandparents and his mom had come here because of the conflict in the country. One of his cousins was old enough to be drafted, which, you know, even teenagers were being drafted at the time. Um, so they they moved here for several years. And I was like, oh, yeah, what was that war about again? Right. Um, and, you know, I had vague memories of the Saturday Night Live skits where the news anchors would show off their Spanish and be like, today in Nicaragua, the Contras, you know. <laughs> Um, but he sort of filled me in and that was interesting. Um, but then about, uh, that was so maybe our first real date. And then a couple weeks later he showed up and, uh, said to me, Oh, I just got off the phone with my grandmother. You know, she had a call from her high school boyfriend who told her that she was his one true love. And what had happened was his grandmother had gone to Sacred Heart Convent School in New Orleans in the late 1940s, early 1950s, which Nicaraguan women of a certain generation and class did back in the day. And at the time, she fell in love with this Cuban man um, and was about to marry him until her family tore her away from the altar. And Emilio had just taken his grandmother to Madrid, uh, to, to France and Spain, to Europe for the first time. And in an elevator, they 
ended up talking to this man who lived in Venezuela, and he turned out to be the best friend <gasps> of the Cuban who really? had moved to Venezuela. Yeah, so I was like, why did it take you so long to tell me this? We've probably been on five dates, and why were you keeping this from me? Um, because obviously I was a lot more interested in the, um, <laughs> you know. I must marry you so I can write this novel. Exactly, the ill-fated love affair than the military conflict. But then the more I thought about it, um, what seemed really interesting to me was that this generation of women who, you know, at the time in convent school, she was learning things like how to get into a cab elegantly. And of course she studied, you know, French and art and things like that, but also table manners. And that this generation of women had kids who ended up overthrowing a dictator and becoming revolutionaries and really sort of changing the whole social order that um, the older women had been raised in and, and were upholding. So there was an interesting tension there and then I sort of started, I did a lot of reading about the um, revolution in Nicaragua and, and the war there. And I read some oral histories of women who were involved in the revolution. And a lot of them had a hard time balancing. I mean, we have a hard time balancing family and career, right? Yes. You know, like, yes. Imagine balancing you know, revolution and reshaping a government with family. So um then I brought in the voice of the granddaughter, too. So it's the story of a grandmother, the, the one who's educated in New Orleans, her daughter, who becomes a revolutionary in the late 70s, early 80s, and her granddaughter, who is largely raised by the grandmother because the mom is busy rebuilding the new Nicaragua. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It is, it is complicated when your mother's a revolutionary. Uh, it's a very complicated relationship you have. But you, <laughs> you summed it up beautifully because you really feel like you are in all of those places as you read the book. You are in the life of the modern-day granddaughter who's an artist in New York. Then we're taken back to New Orleans in the 50s and what it was like at that convent convent school, Sacred Heart. Many of you probably know it. It's right, you know, it's right on St. Charles there. And then you also are taken back to the revolution in Nicaragua. And, you know, you may need a short refresher course for your history, but don't worry because you cover it all in the book. And so you get this incredible portrait of these three generations of women who are all very different. Now, um, you know, you're also, the book is essentially, though, about motherhood and relationship, even though the settings are, are really dynamic. Um, you know, and it starts with the idea, the concept that, you know, a revolutionary makes a bad husband, right? But a revolutionary also makes a bad mother, too. <laughs> so, describing, just, just, I mean, she's not too hot on the motherhood, but then again, that's what she was doing. She was rebuilding a country. How do you pronounce that character's name? Because it's an unusual name. The the revolutionary mom. How do you pronounce her name? Uh, Nenexin. Okay, Nenexin. Yeah. So, you know, that character, I think, must have been very tricky for you to write because you admire her. You admire her courage. You admire her uh, conviction to her country. But she also sent her daughter away to be raised in another country by her mother. So how did you approach that character? Which Was she the one you tackled first? Or how, how did you approach her? I actually put the grandmother first, Isabella, because her voice sort of rang the loudest in my head. Um, I mean, her voice came to me first, but I alternated the chapters and mm -hmm. wrote them in order. Um, and to research Nanetson, because she, she was sort of the most difficult because we've all had, you know, we've all gone to school and the uh, Mariana, the young woman, is pretty much my age and um, I live in New York and, and did when I was single and all that. Uh, but the middle one, I've never fought a revolution. Right. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not, um, quite as brave as, as, uh, Ninexin, but I, um, 
read a lot of oral histories of, of women who did fight the revolution in Nicaragua, and I particularly read the work of a uh, Nicaraguan author, uh, Jaconda Belli, who has written novels uh, and also memoirs. And in something of hers I read, and I can't remember if it was just an interview somewhere or if it was in her memoir, she talks about reading her daughter's college essay for her applications. And it's basically about how she wishes her mother had been around more and when she was growing up. And Jaconda Belli describes getting sort of teary as she read the essay. And her daughter said to her something like, and I'm sure I'm paraphrasing it wrong, but something like, oh, don't feel bad, mom. You couldn't be a good writer, a good revolutionary, and a good mom. <laughs> and <laughs> so that it really crystallized the character for me because she wants to be all those things. She didn't want to give up her daughter, but it was also dangerous for her daughter to be in Nicaragua. And she had a lot of reasons why she felt she needed to remain committed to this cause, both because it was something she believed in and because she lost her husband during uh, the fight and wanted to honor his his memory. So it's tough. Well, you really feel her struggle, but you also feel her power in the book. She comes through as this very powerful female character, and it just made me think about that kind of a balance that I'd never thought about before, the building a country versus raising a daughter. But um, we often see absentee mothers, but they're usually dead in books, frankly. So this is a, it's a, I thought, boy, I haven't really read too many female characters where they're mothers, but they're there and they're doing this revolution thing. I, so I thought that was a really fresh character. Whereas the younger character, Maria, the daughter, she's just really searching for her place in the world. And um, that seems to be something that a lot of young women are doing. It, it, that's a generational thing. Why was that key to her journey, that she's literally searching for her place in the world? What was that? How did that help you determine her character? Well, I think one of the things about absentee mothers that's uh, difficult is you if your mom's not around, you don't really have that model for yourself. So she doesn't really have a model of a marriage or um, a mother. She doesn't have the model that she wishes she had. You know, she, she does have an ex a mother and an experience with motherhood, but it's not what she sort of idealizes and fantasizes about. And I think without realizing it, she has come to a point in her life where she doesn't know how to go forward because she doesn't have uh, something to, to pattern her uh her life on she doesn't have the example of um her mother and the other thing that's tricky for her is that she is dating an older man who's a very established artist um and she's sort of realizing that she in her relationship has recreated her relationship with her mom where she really loves someone who really loves her but loves something else just as much and maybe a little more and also is always going to be more successful than she is um, and someone that other people look up to and other people feel they can claim a piece of just as much as she can. So she's struggling with that as well. And it's funny, I my parents are both writers and I had my mom read an early manuscript of the book and um, she was like, oh, I don't know why Mariana's so mean to that Alan. I think he sounds great um, about the artist. And she was like, you know, I mean, he comes to Nicaragua and, and he's so talented. He sounds great. And on the one hand, I saw her, her point of view. And I think she had sort of a useful note, which was I, I had to struggle to not make Mariana too whiny because um, you want the reader to, to sympathize with her enough to go on her journey. But at the same time, I sort of realized, I thought women of my generation sort of inherently know what's tough about dating 
a man in your same field who's a lot more successful than you <laughs> are um, and sort of a celebrated, uh, a celebrity. Uh, so that was interesting. Well, there are actually quite a few heartbreaking scenes when Mariana's sort of putting all those pieces together, her relationship with her mother, her relationship with Alan. I felt like you really nailed that struggle because sometimes when she talks to her mother, she's like, a, she is like a 12 year old girl, but you totally understand her pain. So you nailed it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I mean, yeah, aren't we all like 12 year old girls when we talk to our mothers? Yeah. <laughs> Liz, you know we love talking about Framebridge, don't we? We do. <laughs> because, because there are just so many fun things to frame, Leon, aren't there? Right. Anything. You can just upload a digital photo from your phone and they can print it and frame it. And that is a gift right there, a gift people would love getting. But Liz, you recently had quite an exciting Framebridge experience. Would I, I you did. like to share? Would you like you know, to? I talked about how when we were at the Bruce Springsteen concert, I was with our brother Dick, his wife Susan, his two kids, and one of the roadies threw us the set list at the end of the show, which was amazing to get the actual set list for the actual concert in Los Angeles. And we're like, oh, yeah, any day now, that's going to be in a place of honor in their home. Sure enough, Leon, they have already framebridged it and sent it to us with a picture. So I'll be in Bend next week, so I'll get to see it. But it's just excellent use of the framebridge resources, the Bruce Springsteen set list. Fantastic. And this is gift giving season. So if you have a graduation coming up, a wedding, a shower, Mother's Day, Father's Day, look around. I'm sure you have something fun you can frame and Framebridge can do it for you. It's easy and it's affordable to frame just about anything. You get fair and transparent upfront pricing based on the size of your item. There's a great selection of frames. And as we've said in the past, fast service, free shipping, great for gifts. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Liz, not many things in life give you a happiness guarantee, but Framebridge does. If you're not 100% happy with your piece, they will make it right. So if this but sounds you like- you're going to be happy, okay? Yeah. And that's just the Satellite Sisters promise. You're going to be out. You're going to be happy you did it. See why Framebridge has been trusted to frame over 2 million pieces. Visit framebridge.com or see a local Framebridge store to get started and custom frame just about anything, like a Bruce Springsteen set list. That's framebridge.com. Thanks, Framebridge. Liz, summer is coming up, and you know what that means? It means you're grilling. You're grilling and chilling sure. there yes. with, your, with your butcher box. What, what do you got going on the grill this summer? Well, you know, here's the thing. Because I'm going to be up in, in Bend for a part of the summer, yeah. I'm having my box sent there, Leanne. That's I mean, great. Go on vacation with your butcher box is what, uh, what, what I'm recommending. Yeah, either way, you're just going to buy meat and fish and stuff when you get there. Why do that? Anyway, you know, I love their steaks. I love their scallops. The scallops are really good. And the chicken thighs, all good. I'm ready. That's right. ButcherBox gives you peace of mind and easy-to-find high-quality meat and seafood you can trust. It's 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork that's raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood, no antibiotics or added hormones, and as Liz said, delivered right to your doorstep. And you can customize that delivery plan, Liz, right? Because yeah. it can go wherever you want it to go, whenever you want it to go. If you want to delay it a week, you know, speed it up a week, you just go to your ButcherBox account and you can make that all happen. It's so easy to manage online. Yeah. And if you're like Liz, you can take your ButcherBox on vacation, which is... <laughs> That's nice. That's nice. <laughs> nice to have something familiar there. <laughs> yes. So if you want to take your meat on vacation, sign up at butcherbox.com slash sisters and get our special deal. 
ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional 20% off. So you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com sisters and use code sisters to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Thanks, ButcherBox. No. Yeah, we are kind of. <laughs> now, the grandmother, so you based it on your mother-in-law, correct? My or his grandmother-in-law. Is that tricky, writing about your in-law's family? I don't, it sounds a little tricky. I'll tell you what, you know, uh, it could be even trickier because my husband's father was a revolutionary and uh, works in the government, in the current government. So uh, at first I wanted to the title of the book to be revolutionaries make bad husbands. And then I realized that would make for some awkward Christmas uh, dinners. Um, but with the, his uh, grandmother, Mamina, she is one of those women. And this is why I love, I love to write from the point of view of older women because they carry so many life experiences within them. Like within every older woman, there's the young girl, there's the uh, young mother, there's, you know, every stage of her life is, is carried within her. And you sort of forget that when, when you see older women, but she really wanted her story to be told. And the funny thing is she, the character in the book veers off from my grandmother-in-law uh, a great deal. I mean, my grandmother-in-law, you know, my mother-in-law was not a revolutionary and um, you know, lots of experiences that the character in the book had, the, uh, my, my grandmother-in-law in real life did not have, but she has read the book and she said to Emilio, my husband, oh, Eleni knows things I didn't even tell her. How could she possibly know all these things that happened to me? And I think she just um, is one of those women who feels like the star of her own movie and thinks, yes, of course, it's time somebody wrote a book um, based on me. Uh, and I think you know, there are women of a certain age who feel that way because they have seen so much. They have seen the world transform around them. And if, if we're lucky enough to live long enough, we all see that. Well, the scenes of her in New Orleans, too, when she's in high school, you really feel you feel her as a 15 and 16 year old. They're they're so uh, evocative and well done. You're absolutely there with her when she's in that convent school. So I think that just adds a richness to her perspective as she ages. And and then you see her sort of heartbreak over the loss of her husband, who was not the love of her life. You know, I would I you described they didn't have so much of a marriage as like a business partnership. You had a great phase that I should have written down. They, they were just like a team of bulls is that what you say yeah. you, how you called them team of oxen yeah. a team of oxen i love that yeah i love that that that's how you describe their relationship yeah, they had a partnership and a real sort of love and respect for each other but it wasn't a romance you know they weren't they weren't lovebirds which i think is typical of a lot of marriages of that generation perhaps particularly in latin america or, or perhaps particularly of a certain class where everyone felt like you had to marry from your same um social group um, but, uh, she still, you know, spent the vast majority of her life with him and is, is devastated when he passes away, but then she gets sort of caught up in the remembrances of her past. And actually in real life, Emilio's grandmother, all she wanted for her 80th birthday, which was a, a few years ago now was to go back to New Orleans. So ah. we took her back to New Orleans and we actually toured Sacred Heart and, you know, she saw pictures on the wall of, um, the nun who was the mistress general when she was there and she cried, you know, it was really that, that time period is really very present to her and, and very present in her mind. 
you were just in New Orleans on your book tour. What was that like? I mean, uh, did people show up who uh, were there Sacred Heart girls there who had read the book already or had heard of the book? The woman who, who led us on that tour, the head of alumni relations for Sacred Heart, um, she was there and she, you know, loved the book and um, was raving about it. She said, you know, you really captured what, what Sacred Heart is about, which I was glad um, to hear because it's a, a place that my um, grandmother-in-law is so fond of and um, so it's so central to her life and, and, uh, her, her life experience and who she is now. Um, so that was, that was really cool. And actually it's not a spoiler alert, but the, um, <laughs> the last scene of the novel takes place in at Sacred Heart. So, um, that was, that didn't fall into place for me. I, I sort of didn't know how things were going to end and that didn't fall into place for me until, I saw the school. Oh, perfect. Okay. We're talking to uh, Eleni N. Gage. Her new book is called The Ladies of Managua. It's just a beautiful, evocative, perfect summer read novel that takes you both to Nicaragua and it takes you to New Orleans. And part of that, Eleni, I understand you were living in Nicaragua when you started the manuscript. Is that correct? I mean, you're an experienced travel writer. You've written memoirs before. You've written other novels set in other countries. So this is kind of your, your bailiwick writing about other places, but I love books with a tremendous sense of place. And that is certainly true of the ladies of Managua. Um, how long were you in Nicaragua when you were writing the book? And what did that, what did that add to we your process? We lived there for seven months. Um, and it's because my husband is a coffee trainer. Oh, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> um, so we lived there. We lived in, in Granada, Nicaragua for seven months um, because my husband is a coffee trader and his work took him there. He was on a particular project. His family does live there. They've moved back, but they live in Managua. And I really wanted to live in Granada because it's it's where his family originally came from. And it's this old Spanish colonial city on the banks of a lake. And you can walk everywhere, which I'm used to as a New Yorker. Um, so it was incredible to be there and especially to be there while writing because it was this sort of magical realist setting and we had parrots and turtles in the yard and there were horse and carriages in the street and religious parades all the time and you really just got sucked into the life of the place you couldn't just be a spectator um and so that sort of permeated every page and everyone I talked to uh had been affected by the revolution and by the war in, in some way because it's recent you know and that's another thing that I think is so interesting about this conflict it's sort of the civil war of this country and it it created a lot of social change but it happened in 1980 and onwards you know uh so it's a very uh recent conflict um and both kind of the romantic nature of where we were living and the fact that i had all these witnesses to history all around me really influenced the writing did it is it hard to write from three different points of view? How did you what was your process for that as a writer? Were you did you write one person's story or was it chapter by chapter or you know, did you have to outline extensively because there are a lot of crisscrosses and the the chapters really work one after the other and you do pickups and and drop-offs and it, it all really works well. I wonder what your process was like for that. Well, uh, I wrote chapter by chapter and for me, that structure actually kept me working every day. 
Um, the other thing about living in Nicaragua was that I had really great, really affordable childcare. So <laughs> you know what? I was thinking that. I was thinking, wow, I bet she really had good help and she could get her work done. And then, you know, she was really focused. That's good. Makes a huge difference for a writer. But I, um, as you know, but I uh, would spend the afternoons when I had the babysitter working on my freelance articles that sort of, you know, paid the bills. And in the morning when my daughter napped, I would work on the novel. And I'm not someone who outlines heavily. I sort of knew what I wanted to talk about. Um, and then I just let it happen from there. But I always knew who I was going to be writing next. And I sort of knew what I wanted them to be talking about. And that really kept me going. Like, I, there weren't days where I was like, oh, I don't know what to write about next, because I knew whose turn it was. So that structure really helped. And um, the three different voices, they always go in the same order. Uh, and Mariana and her mother are separated by Isabella, by the grandmother, which they sort of are emotionally as well. Um, and I found that that order sort of generated a lot of what happened in a way, because one of them would describe an experience. And then I would feel like, oh, that needs to be heard from the other woman's point of view. Um, and it was really empowering to write from the three different voices because it allowed me to say a lot of the things that go unsaid in all of our daily interactions. <laughs> With your mother. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm just thinking, yep, thinking, yep, sure, can totally understand that. <laughs> it was probably kind of fun to be somebody different every day, too, in a it way. Was, yeah, yeah, no, it really was. And to to have this sort of 360 perspective of of, you know, what what was going on and all the misunderstandings and, and, um, you know, I feel like often in your own life, when you're faced with a, a big decision, you kind of think about it from all these different point of views, like, well, what would this person say? And, and people are going to judge me in this way. And, you know, this structure sort of allowed all those voices to be heard. Well, it was an absolute pleasure to read. I can't recommend The Ladies of Managua enough. I think it's the perfect book to take to the beach with you this summer or to take on your trip to Nicaragua or to take on your trip to New Orleans or to take any place. I just loved it. We've been talking to Eleni Gage. She is the author of The Ladies of Managua. And we're going to take a break. Stay with us. You've been listening to Satellite Sisters Word Write Festival. We'd like to thank Audible for supporting Satellite Sisters Word Write Festival. They have 150,000 books you can download at Audible. And one, your first one, could be free if you use our special URL. That's audiblepodcast.com forward slash sisters, audiblepodcast.com forward slash sisters. Uh, one free audiobook is yours and a 30-day free trial. If you love podcasts, you're going to love downloading books. Perfect for travel, perfect for uh, doing errands around the house, working out too, perfect for commuting. We love our audiobooks. Thanks, Audible, for supporting Satellite Sisters. We'd like to thank Eleni Gage. It was really fun to talk to her. We had some audio issues at the very end of our interview, um, but I can assure you that her next book will not be about a disaster at a destination wedding. Uh, she is the executive editor of Martha Stewart Weddings, and I was hoping that might be the plot, but no, she thinks she's going back to Greece, where her family is from, for her next novel. She is also the author of a memoir, North of Ithaca, 
a journey home through a family's extraordinary past. And her first novel, Open Waters, came out in uh, 2012. You can find information about Eleni and all her books, including her latest, The Ladies of Managua, at SatelliteSisters.com, or you can find her author page at Amazon.com. It's always fun to talk to authors about their work. You know, everyone has a different process, and everyone works hard, and everyone is plugging away, doing uh, doing what they can do to bring us fantastic stories. And we'd like to thank the authors who join us for the Word Write Festival and congratulate them for getting those books down on the page that we love reading. For more information about our books that we picked for our best beach bag books of 2015, look for us at SatelliteSisters.com. The list will be coming out in a couple of weeks, but you can find more author interviews there, of course, SatelliteSisters.com. Thanks, everybody. And don't forget, call your Satellite Sister.